It's November 17, 2019. Kanye is here to deliver the word to the masses with a co-sign from his masses. The 2017 Astros could be the 2017 Asterix. And only the Cleveland Browns find a way to lose even when they win. Going to talk about the Miles Garrett-Mason Rudolph fight. Going to go across the lines with Mario Lemieux and John Elway. Colin Kaepernick gets by with a little help from his friends and hater appreciation for a certain group of concert goers in California. Across the country and around the world, across the street and around the corner, this is Over the Culture. This is Over the Culture podcast, where you get to hear my spin on things I like, like music, sports, sports entertainment, movies, TV shows, and your mom. I used to know her. You also get to hear about things I don't like, like snow, people who walk slowly in front of you, any uppity hipsters with the Kung Lao hats going to festivals all the time, too cool for your own good. What's up everybody, I am your ambassador of ceremonies, Alfred Hugecock, Pat Stay Black, Alex Treblack, Luke Flytalker, The One Gear Kid, Sir Blunt Smokington, The Most Interesting Blurred in Podcasting, Steve G. And this is Over the Culture. Yeah. What's up people? What's up my people? My nerds, my blurds, my niggas. Little motherfuckers. What's going on, you little motherfuckers? How was your week? This week was trying for Steve G. Monday, I was on my way to work. Out in Staleview, Ohio. Ohio! And... It was snowing and it was raining. It was raining and it was snowing on my way to Snailview, Ohio. And a hydroplane on the way to work. And I was headed into a ditch and I almost hit a telephone pole. And they always say when you're hydroplaning, don't hit your brakes. It could get worse. You can do a 360, turn around, hit the car behind you. So instead of doing that, I corrected my steering wheel. And as I did that, I apparently overcorrected it. And I veered to the left, veered back to the right a little, and came back to the left, and I hit a mailbox. Ouch. So put a big crack in my windshield, uh, bent my front driver's side fender and yeah luckily I'm alive to tell the story luckily my car is still alive and man I didn't know what I was thinking I didn't know what to think and man it was just kind of like brace yourself Steve for what's about to happen and I went through that fucking mailbox my car looks bad man you should see that mailbox Hey, I made it to work on time. One monkey don't stop this show. I didn't let that get me down. Uh, I knew that I had some uh, some repairs that I instantly had to to take care of. Um, but yeah, I still went and stride, went to work like nothing happened. Uh, it, it obviously sat in the back of my mind. But, hey man, you got a job, you got work to do. And it was only Monday. And I'll be damned if I let the moody Monday, the feeling of mundane Monday drain into me, because we're bigger than that. We're some fighters, we're some warriors, we're lions. Fuck you, Monday. Hit that mailbox, you think you're gonna get me all moody? <laughs> Fuck my whole week already. Fuck my life. FML. <laughs> no. Monday. 
Still made it to work on time Monday. Kick you in the teeth. You want some of me? Monday? You ain't shit, Monday. Hit that mailbox and I hit you with my car, Monday. So yeah, I made it through the week. And I got my windshield replaced on Friday. Yeah, that's why it's better than you, Monday. You know another day I don't really care for? Tuesday. At least Monday has a reason to hate it. Tuesday's just there. I know you got Taco Tuesday, but until then, until that point, Tuesday, you were just irrelevant. You were just the day after Monday. Monday is the the greatest heel of days. It's the Ric Flair of days. Everyone dreads going back to school. Everyone dreads going back to work. Uh, I got to get up for work Monday and uh, do this shit all over again. You got a reason to hate Monday. Tuesday is... Got no Wednesday, it's hump day. You know, you're halfway there. It lets you know, hey, hey, man, Friday's not too far behind. Thursday, you can just feel the roller coaster going downhill from here. Sometimes bosses don't even come into work Thursdays. Smooth sailings. And then there's Friday. Yeah. Come on, Friday with your funky ass. Then Saturday, everyone lives for the weekend. Saturday and Sunday, lazy Sunday. Then back to fucking Monday. And then there's Tuesday. Like, what, what do you do? What, what do you do? You're just there. You're just there to make up five days in the week. In the work week. Hey, I'm, I'm just Tuesday. I, I'm in the day after Monday. I'm, I'm just here. They, they, they say I, I'm a thing and I got to be here after this day. So I'm, I'm just Tuesday. Eat a dick Tuesday and you go to hell Monday. You're fucking mailbox hitting day nah so I got my windshield replaced uh, now I have to get my fender replaced I'm gonna do it piece by piece step by step and once again I'm just lucky to be alive I could have hit a telephone pole I could have went in a ditch and I don't fuck with ditches because it rhymes with snitches and bitches and we don't like bitches but we love these hoes ha 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 we love these hoes ha 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 we love these hoes man this morning I looked out the kitchen window and I saw the kid that lives at the house behind us, playing outside by himself. He was pushing the swings. Nobody was riding the swing, he was just pushing the swing. And he started pushing two swings. Then he hopped on the trampoline, started throwing the ball in the air to himself. And it's cold as fuck, people. There's snow on the ground. We're halfway through November. And I'm only bringing this up because I was that kid at one point. And I feel like that builds character. Got nobody to play with. Fuck it. I'm going to go outside and I'm going to make some shit happen. Not going to let this stop me. Got no playmate for the day. Fuck it. I'm going to go push the swings and act like there's somebody in the swing. Then I'm going to push two swings. Act like I'm pushing two motherfuckers. Then I'm going to play some ball. Pass to myself. Throw the ball up in the air, catch it, I'm gonna make some games out of it. Mom asked me where I'm going. I don't know, I'm getting the fuck out of here. I'm going outside. Builds character, especially when it's cold. As a kid, you just want to go outside. Had no plan, had no strategy what you're gonna do sometimes just want to go outside because it was something to do and it was fucking outside out of the house and just like that kid we're going to persevere we're not going to let tomorrow get us down just because we got to go to work because we got to go back to school no 
you take the moment and kick it in the fucking teeth. Monday Monday, you tell Monday to eat a dick. Don't let it get you down. I'm on some Tigger shit. Anybody ever watch Winnie the Pooh? Tigger was the happiest motherfucker bouncing all over the place. Had Eeyore, always depressed. Rabbit was all neurotic and shit. Oh, I don't know. I don't know, Pooh. He had Rue and Kanga just bouncing around too, but Tigger, that's where the party was at. Don't be a Eeyore. Be a Tigger. My nigga. Yesterday, I went to my cousin's exhibit. He had an art gallery downtown in Sandusky. And he's really talented. His name's Jordan. Um, I have a buddy who's named Jordan who lives in Los Angeles. He's also an artist. Two different Jordans. One from Sandusky, one from Fremont. Rivals. But anyways, getting sidetracked. And I went to his gallery. He's got some really cool art. He, he uses a lot of images uh, from hip-hop of a lot of figures. He has uh, some Tupac paintings. He has some Biggie, some Jay-Z, some Drake. And he, he, he mixes and matches different things within his art. Um, anybody in Sandusky, listen to this. It's worth checking out. He'll have the gallery up for the next, I believe, two to three weekends. I know at least the next two weekends. On Saturday, starting at noon, they open up they open up shop and uh, he's actually selling some of the art off the wall so yeah even if you're broke it's worth the trip and uh yeah man he's, he's got some good stuff also this past week disney plus's release and i had to check that out i know i talk shit about disney but Come on, I can't deny, we can't deny that they have put out some great content. Their original characters fucking blow. Goofy and Mickey and all that shit. Nah, yeah. But the ducks, we do fuck with the ducks. And they have duck tails. They have Darkwing Duck. They have Chip and Dale. Rescue Rangers. They have X-Men. They have the whole Marvel collection. They have the whole Marvel library. They have all of the Star Wars library. They have the X-Men cartoon. They have Silver Surfer. They have different variations of the Spider-Man series animated. They have Gargoyles. And of course they have their Princess Peach Fish movies that, you know, out of all of them, okay, give me your your Little Mermaids. I fuck with that. Can't deny it. I fuck with, uh, let me see. Beauty and the Beast was all right, but uh, Aladdin was cool. And um, yeah. Then, of course, there was Lion King. But I've been, been oh, the Simpsons. They have every episode of The Simpsons. They have our whole childhood. 80s babies, 90s kids. Nickelodeon year turn is up. When are they going to have that? Do they have a Nickelodeon streaming device or service? No, not yet. I don't believe so. That should be a thing though. Salute your shorts. Hey dude, my brother and me. Clarissa explains it all. Nick Arcade. Guts. D -d -d do you have it? Double dare. What would you do? Wienerville. Wiener, wiener. Anyways, yeah, I've been binge watching Simpsons on Disney Plus, and the, the plan is to watch every episode, so it's going to take me about another 10 years. Um, man. With all of these different streaming devices, why even have cable anymore? I'm only keeping it around. Well, we're keeping it around. 
but yeah, it, it seems like I only use it for sports. Watch the games. Disney Plus, man, yeah, you can easily fall down the rabbit hole. I'm gonna put a chunk in these Simpsons episodes, these Simpsons seasons, and probably move on to X-Men. Netflix and chill is no more. It's Disney plus this dick. Be watching some DuckTales, all right? Gonna be ducking his tail on some dick. Gonna be watching some Darkwing Duck, all right? More like Darkwing Fuck. Also, Kanye, Kunye West is back in the news. He visits Houston. He does a service to deliver the word at Joel Osteen's church. And would you believe that Kunye would visit the jails and do a service there too? Good for him. It's a no for me though, dog. <laughs> you had to buy a ticket go to the Joel Osteen Kanye mass um I, and I'm sure it's sold out because it's Kanye people are uh, talking about if, if he wants to be a vessel for the good lord then let him why are you shaming him well because it's a sham he's a sham you know when people fall out of grace with black folks they tend to go to the church so Kunye Maga hat a lot of people are on the fence a lot of black people are on the fence some people have left him alone myself included I used to be a huge fan of Kanye I used to think he was one of the most influential well he, he still is but I, I thought he was one of the greatest minds in hip-hop now I think he's one of the most tragic stories in hip-hop he's deep in that sunken place and that weird brothel of a family that he married into they did some hoodoo voodoo juju shit I don't know some juju schuster shit Because this is the same guy who said George Bush doesn't care about black people. And now Kanye doesn't care about black people. How did this happen? How did how did you fall from grace? Our good graces, Kanye. A lot of people said it's his mom. But yeah, I get that. That's tough, losing your mom. At some point, man, you got to have some people in your circle who really give a fuck about you, man. Where are your real friends? No, the Kardashian clan, that's probably not the right direction to go. Have you seen what happened to these guys that fuck with them? So anyway, Kanye, he did a service at Joel Osteen's church and you had to buy tickets. Go figure. Um, then he does a uh, service uh, visiting the Houston jails. Man, what else is going on in Houston? Now that I'm not there. Not saying I would have went there anyway. But God. You do you, Kunye. You do you. I still have yet to listen to any of that gospel album. Completely good on that. A lot of people apparently are, though. It was number one. Billboard. And... A lot of gullible people in America. That's what that means. Colin Kaepernick finally gets an opportunity to try out for an NFL team, but it's on their terms. Uh, he finds out less than a week to show up to Georgia for a tryout on Saturday. And... 
before doing so he also has to sign a waiver that will dismiss the NFL or any of its teams of any liability for employment basically preventing them for from future lawsuits Colin Kaepernick didn't show up for the workout uh, he wanted to have the workout done on a Tuesday as opposed to Saturday uh, which is a day when scouts are out on the road visiting schools for future draft picks um, Saturday is just not the likeliest or the best day the NFL shut that down uh, they said they're not going to have it on Tuesday they're going to have it on Saturday and you have to sign the waiver so Colin Kaepernick didn't show up now Stephen Coon Smith and his pundits his people and the people who think like him are claiming that Kaepernick just wants to be a martyr he doesn't want to play basically Kaepernick is doing what the NFL is trying to do to him which is hey I'm not going to be your whipping boy I'm not going to I'm not going to be your bitch meet me halfway yes we can do this tryout and I'd like to play I'd like to show up to try out this waiver is bullshit actually this whole thing is a sham and yes on the surface it looks good that he's getting this opportunity and I'm sure Jay-Z had a hand in this I'm, I'm sure he got some assistance from good old Sean Carter but if you look beneath the surface it looks like good old Roger Goodell is trying to save face for his league for his brand and he's also trying to save face for his 32 football teams hey if we deny this guy it looks bad on us if we keep turning this guy down if we don't give him an opportunity there could be another lawsuit so hey they give us this mockery of a workout and they're going to set up the workout on a Saturday a day when most of the recruits and the scouts are on the road visiting schools I'm sure this isn't the end of this and Kaepernick as usual standing on his own too is not going to back down uh, he saw this from the jump that this was a whole it was a sham this waiver that I have to sign is bullshit the fact that this is on a Saturday is bullshit and media wasn't allowed to the workout why don't you want the cameras good oil good old good ale why don't you want the why don't you want the media there the revolution won't be televised they don't want cameras there they don't want any other witnesses there so they can make up their own story oh he was just not the same his numbers are the, the numbers are the numbers and I, I don't think he can keep up they don't want the cameras there. They don't want the media there so they can create their own narrative. And that was another stipulation that Kaepernick wanted. He wanted to have media there. He didn't want to have it in Atlanta. He wanted to have it at a high school. That wasn't in Atlanta. I don't know. He, he didn't want to have it at the Falcons facility. That's what it was. He wanted to have it at a high school. And he wanted media there. And, you know, he's looking at that waiver sideways. So, like I said, this isn't going to be the end of this. It's not going to be the last of this that we hear of. And, uh, hey, who knows? Maybe Kaepernick will get a spot one day. Someone who did get a spot is Carmelo Anthony. He's back. Hey, man, you got a job. He signed with the Portland Trailblazers, and uh, that's a good look for Portland. C.J. McCollum, Damian Lillard, Dame Dalla. They made it to the second round last year. Let's see if Melo doesn't mind coming off the bench. I, I don't know who their starting three is, but, you know, if I was that guy, I'd be pissed if Carmelo took my spot. It's like this guy wasn't even playing last year. He was playing 2K all season. The fuck? As long as he doesn't mind taking a six-man role. Hey, Dwight Howard didn't mind. 
Swallow your pride, swallow your ego, Melo. Just be glad you got a roster spot. And hopefully he can contribute to an already playoff team. Good for you, Melo. Hope this works out for you, buddy. 2017 Astros. 2017 Asterix. They're saying that the 2017 Astros illegally stole signs when they won the World Series that year. And... Apparently, there's a center field camera uh, that they're speculating that the team used to steal catcher signs, the, the visiting team's catcher signs at Minute Maid Park. And you can use scouts. Apparently, this is a, an often practiced strategy for teams. You can have scouts use binoculars to check for signs. Um, apparently there's a protocol that's allowed, but it can't be during the same game. They, they can't be relayed to the dugout. You can't, and you definitely can't use cameras, uh, on the field to steal signs. Uh, there was a former pitcher, former Astros pitcher saying that they were using signs in 2017, um, to win, but there's also been former players saying that they were doing, they were study the signs within MLB jurisdiction. Carlos Beltran, who is now a manager, um, he said that the, that the Houston Astros, they were within jurisdiction of stealing the signs or whatever. Not stealing, it's probably not the best terminology, but hopefully they don't have to drop that banner from, from, from Minute Maid Park. I, I was happy for the Astros, even as an Indians slash Reds fan, um, they, the city needed that because this was just on the tail end of Hurricane Harvey. It's a p- depressing time. You know, a lot of people lost their homes. Some people lost their lives. And to see the Houston Astros win that for the city after seeing so many people pull together as a, as a town, as a, as a city um, from different walks of life, it was a, it was a happy moment for a sports fan as a, and as a Houstonian. So, hopefully they can keep their trophies. My Buckeyes did work yesterday, 56-21 against Rutgers. And even better news, Chase Young will be back next week against Penn State. I feel like this has Nick Saban written all over it. Play with fire, you get burned, Saban. That's why you lost. Bill Belichick of college football. I feel like he was the whistleblower for this bullshit. We want Chase back, suited up, booted. Penn State, you're not going to spoil our season. Get your underage wee-wee touching hands off of us, you Sanduskians. Jerry Sanduskians had to clear that up. Not trying to shit on my city. At least not today. Swear, only the Browns find a way to lose, even when they win. And last Thursday, the Browns played Pittsburgh Steelers. Thursday night game, and Cleveland won. But with eight seconds left, Miles Garrett... Cleveland Browns got into a tussle with Mason Rudolph of the Pittsburgh Steelers and they have a little shoving match they go to the ground um the whistle is blown yet they're still tussling and it looks like Mason tries to pull off he tried to pull off Miles Garrett's helmet he was unsuccessful but as they stood up they're still tussling and Miles Garrett is successful in pulling off Mason Rudolph's helmet and not only does he do that but he bashes him upside the head with it Miles Garrett is definitely going to get suspended for some games Uh, the people are yelling off with his head take him to jail suspend him for life let's Kaepernick him well Apparently, in the rule book, that is a 15-yard penalty. Doesn't say anything about the suspension. That's all left to the uh, 
to the jury there up there in uh in, in the NFLs. But considering there's no nonsense, no tolerance on on stuff like that these days, it's probably going to be rest of the season suspension at least. But Mason Rudolph is not innocent either. We can't overlook the fact that he actually attempted to pull off the helmet and you know, playing devil's advocate, uh Miles Garrett, no relation. Uh if if his train of thought is probably, hey, this motherfucker tried to take my helmet off. We're gonna go there, we're gonna go there with it. This is what we're doing. Alright, bet. All bets are off. I'm taking your fucking helmet off and I'm about to slap you upside the head with this bitch. So if anything, Mason Rudolph, you know, even though he didn't do as much, we can't act like he's the victim. Like he was just this meek little quarterback just trying to get his yards. And then evil Miles Garrett from Cleveland just came in and smashed his world in with a helmet. And then Mike Pouncey comes in and stomps on Miles Garrett on his head. So it's going to be some fines, going to be some suspensions all over. Get it together, Cleveland. You can do better. Two wins in a row, man. Dallas, they play Detroit today. After losing to Minnesota. Five and four. And I feel like my team is much better than their record shows. They have pro bowl level talent. We shouldn't have lost to the Jets. The goddamn Jets. We shouldn't have lost to New Orleans. That was Drew Brees first week out. No Drew Brees. This should have been a breeze. The Packers. F. Aaron Rodgers. What can you do? Guess we got to take that L. But yeah, Minnesota shouldn't have lost. Detroit. Hey. No Matt Stafford. No worries, right? We're five and four. We're still top of the division. And I do believe the Dallas Cowboys will be in the playoffs again this year. Mark my words. And Chuck Lydell was in the press recently. He fought Tito Ortiz for their trilogy. He lost to Tito Ortiz, but... When the question of retirement came into play, somehow Mike Tyson gets brought up into the into the story and he says he wants to take Mike on a street fight. And I think Chuck Liddell has taken too many blows to the head and too many power bombs on the mat in the octagon because we're talking about Mike fucking Tyson. Even though Mike is in his 50s, let's not get it twisted. He's still Mike fucking Tyson. Chuck Liddell, you're a bad man, but you're not that bad. Slow down, player. Today in sports history, in 1926, the NHL Chicago Blackhawks play their first game beating the Toronto St. Patrick's 4-1. In 1940, the Green Bay Packers become the first NFL team to travel by plane. In 1956, Syracuse fullback Jim Brown scores NCAA record of 43 points versus Colgate. In 1981, the New York Knick Bill Cartwright ties a record of going 19 for 19 of his ugly ass free throws. 1985, New York Jets have their best offensive production, beating Tampa Bay 62-28. 1989, Brett Saberhagen signs a then-record of $2,966,667 per year for a Kansas City Royal contract. 1991, Detroit Lion Mike Utley is paralyzed in a game versus the LA Rams. And in 1997, Mario Lemieux enters NHL Hall of Fame. And that was my half-ass sports report. Danny DeVito is and always will be the shit.
Who loves Danny DeVito? We love Danny DeVito. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. In Khaki, you were Louis De Palma for 100 plus episodes. Terms of Endearment, Johnny Dangerously, Ruthless People, Twins, with Arnold Schwarzenegger, Throw Mama from the Train, with Billy Crystal, Hoffa, Batman Returns, you were Penguin, the fucking Penguin. One of the best comic book movie villains ever. Get Shorty, Matilda, Space Jam, Mars Attacks, Man on the Moon, Death the Smoochie, Big Fish, The Lorax. How can a man of such small stature make such a big impact? And of course, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. As Frank Reynolds. Frank, I'm the trash man. I come out and throw trash all over, all over the ring. And then I start eating garbage. And then I pick up the trash can and I bash the guy on the head. We gotta definitely write a song about how we do not diddle kids. Do not diddle kids. It's no good diddling kids. I know some of you may have heard about the other guy. I'm not that dude that diddles kids. I'm not like that. It's not my thing. I met that guy in a titty bar. Danny DeVito. Comedic legend, man. Much respect. Happy birthday. When we come back, we're going to go across the lines with Mario Lemieux and John Elway. We'll be black after these messages. In today's birthdays, happy birthday to MLB players Ryan Braun and Nick Markakis. They both turned 36 today. Retired NFL wide receiver Reggie Wayne is 41. American actress and director Diane Neal from Law & Order SVU turns 43 today. Retired NBA player Jerome James is 44. Happy 52nd birthday to singer, producer, actor, member of New Edition, and Belle Biv DeVoe, Ronnie DeVoe. Cuban-American model and actress back from MTV, VJ Days, Daisy Fuentes is 53 today. American performer, actor, and singer RuPaul turns 59. American actor Stephen Root is 68. Also 68 today is former Cleveland Brown coach Butch Davis. Physician, politician, and 79th governor of Vermont, Howard Dean turned 71. Happy 74th birthday to NBA Hall of Famer Elvin Hayes. Happy, 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 happy 75th birthday to Baseball Hall of Famer Tom Seaver, producer Lorne Michaels, and actor Danny DeVito, and Hall of Fame basketball coach Jim Beheim. And happy 77th birthday to American director, producer, screenwriter, and actor Martin Scorsese. On the next episode of Booty and Fight in Atlanta, this bitch pours a drink on that hoe when she finds out they're fucking the same nigga. Tune in to VH1's Booty and Fight in Atlanta, a show filled with cattiness, rattiness, fake tits, fake boobs, wigs, weaves, and most importantly, niggas. VH1's Booty and Fight in Atlanta. What happens when you move all the black and brown people out of the neighborhood and replace them with urban, professionally-minded, 30-something Caucasians? What's up, bruh? Do you vape? Tight, homie. Want to join my fantasy league? From the producers of Job Discrimination Disco, Fox presents a new reality show that's guaranteed to keep the property value rising. Gentrification. This fall on Fox. special mention to those no longer with us. This past week, we lost former NFL wide receiver Charles Rogers. Born Charles Benjamin Rogers on May 3, 1981 in Saginaw, Michigan, he played college football for the Michigan State Spartans, earning unanimous All-American honors and recognition as the top college wide receiver in the country. The Detroit Lions selected him with the second overall pick in the 2003 NFL Draft, but he was out of the league after only three years due to injuries and off-field issues. Following injuries he sustained, Rogers developed an addiction to the prescription opioid, Vicodin, known to cause severe liver failure when taken in the dosages he alleged were given to him by his employer's physicians. On November 11, 2019, Rogers died in Fort Myers at age 38 of liver failure. He had been diagnosed with cancer and was in need of a liver transplant. Lord Infamous was an American rapper and co-founder of 3-6 Mafia. 
born Ricky T. Dunnigan, November 17, 1973 in Memphis, Tennessee. He was the older brother of DJ Paul. His lyrics touched on subjects such as horror, Satanism, mass murder, and torture, along with more common hip-hop themes of crime and drugs. On December 20, 2013, Lord Infamous died of a heart attack in his sleep at his mother's home in Memphis, Tennessee. DJ Paul confirmed the death online, stating he had a heart attack in his sleep. His mother found him dead this morning. He had been dead, the doctors say, for about five hours. Lord Infamous was 40 years old. And Rock Hudson was an American actor who epitomized Hollywood's classic matinee idol image. Born Roy Harold Scherer Jr. on November 17, 1925 in Winnetka, Illinois, Hudson was one of the most popular movie stars of his time. His career spanned five decades and was a shining example of Hollywood's classical star system style career promotion. He achieved stardom with his role in Magnificent Obsession in 1954, followed by All That Heaven Allows in 1955 and Giant in 1956, for which he received a nomination for the Academy Award for Best Actor. Unknown to the public, Hudson was diagnosed with HIV on June 5, 1984, just three years after the emergence of the first cluster of symptomatic patients in the U.S., and only one year after the initial identification by scientists of the HIV virus that causes AIDS. Hudson kept his illness a secret and continued to work while at the same time traveling to France and other countries seeking a cure, or at least the treatment to slow the progress of the disease. At 9 a.m. on the morning of October 2, 1985, Hudson died in his sleep from AIDS-related complications at his home in Beverly Hills at age 59, less than seven weeks before what would have been his 60th birthday. Rest easy, y'all. On this day in 1997, Mario Lemieux was inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame, becoming the ninth player in history to have the mandatory three-year waiting period waived. He is widely considered to be one of the greatest players of all time. Lemieux played for 17 seasons, all with the Pittsburgh Penguins. Born October 5, 1965 in Montreal, Quebec, Canada, Super Mario, or the Magnificent One as he's known to be called, was selected by the Pittsburgh Penguins in the 1984 NHL Draft with the first overall pick. They built their franchise around the 19-year-old Lemieux, who would lead the team to two consecutive Stanley Cup championships in 1991 and 1992. In 1983, the year before Lemieux was drafted, the Baltimore Colts had the number one pick in the NFL draft. They selected a future Hall of Fame quarterback, who would also lead his team to two consecutive Super Bowl victories. That quarterback is John Elway. And that leads us to Across the Lines. He would step across the line. Habitually, he's a habitual line stepper. Line stepper. In the 1983 NFL Draft, Elway was selected as the first overall pick by the Baltimore Colts. Elway was wary of playing for the Colts, among the worst teams in the league at the time, and his father advised him against playing for head coach Frank Cush, who had a reputation as a harsh taskmaster. Born John Albert Elway, June 28, 1960, in Port Angeles, Washington, Elway was a two-star athlete as he was selected by the Kansas City Royals in the 18th round of the 1979 MLB Draft. The Royals also selected Dan Marino in the fourth round of the same draft. While Elway preferred football, his agent Marvin Dimoff later stated that the baseball was a true option for him at the time. The possibility gave Elway leverage in negotiations with the Colts. He wanted to stay on the West Coast as he had went to high school at Grenada Hills High in Los Angeles and Stanford for college also located in California. After unsuccessfully attempting to negotiate a private agreement with the Colts in which Elway would cite his alleged desire to remain on the West Coast to explain the team trading him, Elway publicly threatened to join the Yankees full-time if the Colts did not trade him. Demoff wrote in his journal, published three decades later, that he would be a garbage collector before he'd play for Baltimore. Elway's refusal to join the Colts was controversial, but many other NFL teams began negotiations with the Colts for the quarterback. One possibility was trading Elway for the San Francisco 49ers quarterback Joe Montana, whose team had a poor season in 1982. Another was a trade with the San Diego Chargers, which was negotiating a new contract with its star quarterback Dan Fouts. The New England Patriots were interested, but the Colts did not wish to trade Elway to a team in the same division. 
The coach, general manager, Ernie Acorsi, won at Elway as Acorsi later said, he did not foresee the 1984 draft as producing any first round quarterbacks. Acorsi announced Elway as the team's choice as soon as possible during the 15 minute window on draft day, surprising observers. Elway that day reiterated his wish to not play for the Colts at a press conference saying, as I stand here right now, I'm playing baseball. The Colts, however, were interested in offensive lineman Chris Hinton, who the Denver Broncos had chosen as the fourth pick in the first round. On May 2nd, Colts owner Robert Ursay and Acorsi agreed to trade Elway for Hinton, backup quarterback Mark Herman, and a first round pick in the 1984 draft, which turned into offensive lineman Ron Solt. Mario Lemieux didn't have an issue playing for the team that drafted him. In fact, he announced he wanted to play for whoever drafted him. However, he did have an issue with the contract that the Penguins offered him. Lemieux and his agent were deadlocked with the Pittsburgh Penguins and could not negotiate a contract. Because of this, when the Penguins called his name as the first overall pick, he did not shake general manager Eddie Johnston's hand or don the Penguins jersey, as is NHL tradition. He claimed he was upset about the contract negotiation and said that Pittsburgh doesn't want him bad enough. Even though the draft was held in Montreal, his hometown, and over 3,000 fans viewed a broadcast in Pittsburgh's Civic Arena. After the draft, Johnston signed Lemieux to a two-year contract for $600,000, plus a $150,000 bonus for signing. He debuted on October 11, 1984 against the Boston Bruins, and on his first shift, he stole the puck from Hall of Fame defenseman Ray Bork and scored a goal with his first NHL shot. Later that season, Lemieux played in the NHL All-Star Game and became the first rookie to be named the All-Star Game's Most Valuable Player. Despite missing seven games during the season, Lemieux scored 100 points and won the Calder Memorial Trophy as the Rookie of the Year. In 1986, his second season, Lemieux finished second in league scoring with 141 points behind Wayne Gretzky's NHL record 215 points. He won the Lester B. Pearson Award as the NHL's best regular season player as voted by his peers. Around this time, John Elway had led the Broncos to an 11-5 season as well as that year's Super Bowl after defeating the Cleveland Browns on a famous possession at the end of the fourth quarter that became known as the Drive. In a span of five minutes and two seconds, Elway led his team 98 yards to tie the game with 37 seconds left in regulation. The Broncos went on to win that game in overtime. The Broncos would lose that Super Bowl to the New York Giants 39-20, but Elway threw for 304 yards and a touchdown with one interception, and led Denver in rushing with 27 yards and a touchdown on the ground. In 1987, Elway was selected to start for the AFC's Pro Bowl team and won NFL Most Valuable Player Award. He once again led the Broncos to a victory over the Browns in the AFC title game, earning their second consecutive Super Bowl appearance but would lose the big game to the Washington Redskins 42-10. Elway became the first quarterback ever to catch a pass in the Super Bowl, recording a 23-yard reception from halfback Steve Sewell on a halfback option play. After recording an 8-8 record in 1988, Elway once again led his team to the Super Bowl after the 1989 season, with yet another win over the Browns in the AFC Championship game. They went on to face the San Francisco 49ers in Super Bowl 24 and was dismantled by the 49ers 55-10, the most lopsided score in Super Bowl history. And when asked if he wanted to go back to the Super Bowl after three losses, he responded that he wanted to go back every year, even if his team kept losing. Still, by this point, many doubted that he would ever win a Super Bowl in his career. By this time, Mario Lemieux had won his first NHL scoring title. He also won his first Hart Memorial Trophy as the league's most valuable player to his team and the All-Star Game MVP award after a record-setting six-point game. In 1989, he led the Penguins to the playoffs for the first time in seven years. Against the Philadelphia Flyers on April 25th, Lemieux scored five goals and eight points in a 10-7 victory, tying the NHL record for most goals and points in a postseason game, most goals in a postseason period with four in the first, and most assists in a postseason period with three in the second. However, the Penguins lost the series 4-3. Lemieux finally led the Penguins to a Stanley Cup victory when they defeated the Minnesota North Stars 4-2, winning playoff MVP in the process. 
And in the second period of Game 2, Mario scored one of the most famous goals in NHL history. Receiving the puck between the Penguins' blue line and the center line, Lemieux skated solo into the North Star zone, facing two defensemen and the goalie by himself. Lemieux skirted the puck through one of the defender's legs, skated around him, forced the goaltender to commit left, then switched the puck to his backhand side and sliding the puck in before crashing to the net himself. He won his third Art Ross Trophy with 131 points in the 1991-92 season despite having an injury-plagued season. During the second game of the Patrick Division Finals, the New York Rangers' Adam Graves slashed and broke Lemieux's left hand. Lemieux missed five games but was still able to bounce back and led Pittsburgh to their second consecutive Stanley Cup win, sweeping the Chicago Blackhawks. Lemieux won the Conn Smith Trophy for the second year in a row. It took Elway another eight years, but he eventually led his team back to the Super Bowl following the 1997 season. During the preseason American Bowl game in Mexico City, Elway ruptured his right arm bicep tendon, which is his throwing arm. It was treated non-surgically, and he returned to play 19 days later. The Broncos advanced to Super Bowl 32, Elway's fourth, where they faced the Green Bay Packers, the defending champions. Despite Elway completing only 11-22 passes, throwing no touchdowns but one interception, the Broncos defeated the Packers 31-24, winning their first Super Bowl after three failed attempts for Elway. In the 1998 season, the Broncos repeated this feat, and Elway was named MVP of Super Bowl 33, throwing for 336 yards and one touchdown with one interception, while also scoring a rushing touchdown in Denver's 34-19 win over the Atlanta Falcons. It was his last game, other than the 1999 Pro Bowl. On May 2, 1999, at the age of 38, Elway announced his retirement from professional football. Elway is regarded as one of the top quarterbacks ever to play a game. He has one of the best winning percentages, 148, 82, and 1, and is tied for second most Pro Bowl selections for a quarterback, with 9. After a battle with cancer, various other health concerns, and going in and out of retirement, Lemieux announced his final retirement on January 24, 2006 at the age of 40. He became owner of the Pittsburgh Penguins and won three more Stanley Cups in 2009, 2016, and 2017. And John Elway would become general manager and executive vice president of football operations for the Denver Broncos and won another Super Bowl in 2016 as an executive. Mario Lemieux and John Elway two number one draft picks who had somewhat of a rocky start after being drafted. But these two greats would find a city they liked and stayed with it, winning their respective teams two consecutive championships in the process. In fact, they liked their city so much, they stayed involved with their teams after their playing careers, winning more championships as executives. And that was Across the Lines. Today in entertainment history, in 1933, the Marx Brothers film Duck Soup, directed by Leo McCary and starring the Marx Brothers, is released in the U.S. In 1947, the U.S. screen actors implement an anti-communist loyalty oath. In 1967, Beatles Limited and Apple Music Limited swap names. In 1980, WHHM Television in Washington, D.C. becomes the first African-American public broadcasting television station. And on that same day, John Lennon and Yoko Ono released Double Fantasy. It's the last album John Lennon released in his lifetime. In 1982, Shaka Khan released the self-titled album Shaka Khan. In 1992, Ice Cube releases Predator. And on that same day, the soundtrack album of The Bodyguard, Whitney Houston's debut film, is released. The album went on to be certified 17 times platinum by the RIAA and sell 45 million copies worldwide. To date, the album is still the best-selling soundtrack of all time, and also one of the best-selling albums of all time. In 1998, Method Man releases Takao 2000 Judgment Day, and Ice Cube releases War and Peace Volume 1, while Ghetto Boys release The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Whitney Houston releases My Love Is Your Love, and Mariah Carey releases the compilation album Number Ones. And on that same day, The Offspring releases Americana to massive mainstream success. It goes on to be certified five times platinum by the RIAA and sells over 11 million copies worldwide. The hit single Pretty Fly for a White Guy becomes one of the best charting worldwide punk songs of all time, 
topping charts in nine different countries. In 2003, Britney Spears, at 21 years old, becomes the youngest singer to get a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. In 2008, Twilight, based on the book by Stephanie Meyer, premieres in Los Angeles. In 2009, Canadian pop singer Justin Bieber becomes the first artist ever to have seven songs from a debut album chart on the Billboard Hot 100 when his debut album, My World, is released. And in 2015, actor Charlie Sheen confirms that he is HIV positive. Now this portion of the show is where we show appreciation to our haters. Hi haters. I hate your guts! According to an article by The Atlantic on November 11, 2019, unmet hype created a viral clash between Drake and the audience at Camp Flognaw Carnival, but it might just work in his favor. Editorial writers assemble. There's been another demonstration that civility in America is dead. Drake, the Canadian rapper, actor, singer, and as of last week, marijuana entrepreneur, took to the stage last night at the Camp Flognaw Carnival, a music festival in Los Angeles. He played a few songs. The crowd grumbled so much that he left. To summarize, the biggest rapper in the world was booed off stage at a big rap concert, a telling story about toxic buzz storms, the vagaries of coolness, and Drake's special relationship with the phenomenon of public shaming. The footage of Drake's exit feels like a scene in a biopic, a scene you'd watch through your fingers so as to avoid the protagonist's nightmare from replaying in your own dreams. He's performing the final lines of his song Wu-Tang Forever, but they sound lonely and weak, wrapped by inertia. Faint woos and scattered claps reply. Drake walks in a tight circle. He addresses the crowd with the pre-confrontation politeness that a boss might use to broach the subject of jeweling in the office. You know I'ma tell you, like I said, I'm here for you tonight, he continues. If you want to keep going, I will keep going tonight. What's up? The response to his passive-aggressive positivity includes cheers, but the clips that are circulating online today also depict groans, boos, and some folks yelling no. Drake listens for less than a second. There's a brief wince. He's made his decision. It's been love, he says. I love y'all. I go by the name of Drake. Thank you for having me. He walks, not runs, off the stage. His posture suggests that he might literally be telling himself in that moment, keep your head held high. Camp Flognaw is the festival of Tyler the Creator, who first found fame as the demon voice leader of the filthy fun Odd Future rap crew. He's since grown into a young statesman of sorts, influential not only in music, but also in fashion and social media and the TV cartoon ecosystem. Among his talents is the management of hype, though last night's incident appears to be a case of mismanagement. Cap Flognog been running annually in some form since 2012, and this year's poster featured a garish question mark in the spot where a headliner's name would be next to Tyler's own. Hence, a mystery preceded the event. Who would play? Fans had been circulating that the surprise performer would be Frank Ocean, which would have been a big deal because it's basically a surprise anytime Ocean performs anywhere in public. Now one of the most enigmatic and acclaimed artists of his generation, Ocean was introduced to the public in the early 2010s as simply a pretty voice singer in the Odd Future crew. It's been two years since he played a proper concert, but lately Ocean has entered a renewed period of activity by releasing new songs and holding controversial night shindigs. Camp Flognaw would be a good as place as any for Ocean to return to headlining festivals like a pop star is supposed to. Drake is considerably more available entertainer than the reclusive Ocean. For the rapper to bound on stage thus not only disappointed Ocean's famously ravenous fans, but also set up a clash of tastes. Tyler and Flognaw's brand is colorful and punkish and opposed to all things serious. Drake's is chilly and commercial and calculated. He has charted 205 songs in the Hot 100, more than any other solo artist ever. For some Flognaw attendees, surely, Drake showing up was the equivalent of a popular jock crashing the art geek's party and demanding to take over the aux court to put on Maroon 5. Taste, hierarchies, and schemas of coolness are, however, not very logical things. Tyler's fans may have balked, but Tyler himself is obviously a Drake fan. In 2012, the two rappers took selfies backstage at an ocean show. In recent months, Tyler was playfully hitting on Drake online. Tyler's swaggering but confessional music is his lifestyle's brand empire owes Drake a debt, in fact. It's not like the Flognaw is exactly underground either. Other performers this year, such as The Baby, 
Juice World, or Radio Powerhouses, and would love to enjoy Drake's longevity. Who cares, a Drake defender might ask, if a subculture of people who wear checkered jumpsuits and bucket hats rejected him. He still has his Grammys and his house in the Hidden Hills. What's potentially damaging isn't the booing itself, but its virality and the narrative it creates. The prospect of oversaturation and the fear of a shark-jumping moment would loom for anyone after a decade of cultural conquest. If Drake's career has thus defied the rule that what goes up must come down, a very public rejection might be just the thing to upend the years-long balancing act he's performed. Then again, Drake exists for moments like this. His entire career has been defined by spasms of public mockery, for being soft, for using ghostwriters, for being curved by Rihanna, and on and on. Each scandal just ends up motivating him to innovate catchy new spectacles of pettiness and dominance. In his music, he insists he's the greatest there ever was. In his public battles and setbacks, however, he's constantly being reminded of how many people don't buy it. He walked off last night so as to walk on again, no doubt. Hey, Camp Flognaw Gores, I get it. It literally took me years, years to finally come around the corner and like Drake. I liked the fact that he clapped back at Meek Mill. That was the turnaround point. It also helps that radio bludgeons me over the head with Drake songs after Drake songs after Drake songs. Some Cardi B and Migos, Drake songs and Drake songs. Some Jay-Z and Beyonce, Drake songs, Drake songs. Some the baby and then Drake and Drake and Drake. And then I finally said, hey, I called uncle. I yelled uncle. I'm a Drake fan. He makes good songs. And Camp Flognog, I get it. You're the underground. You're the punk rock rapper crew. You're the odd future fan base. You're weird. You're hipsters. You wear the bucket hats. You wear the Kung Lao hats. You wear the Shang Tsung hats. Get it. The girls wear their Spartan sandals to the festivals. I get it. Each person in the crew has an ounce of hash at all times, and you all think Earl Sweatshirt is the goat. I get it. But hey... This is the sixth guy we're talking about, and he's just blessing you with his presence. Now, people, this hater appreciation is done in jest because when it comes to music, when it comes to art, you like what you like. You don't like what you don't like. But hey, this is the sixth God. He's blessing you with his presence. He's the artist of the decade, Drizzy. And you can't appreciate that? You prefer Frank Ocean? Man. I don't think he has the catalog as the six god, the leader of the Toronto Raptor embassy. Hey, and I'm sure Frank Ocean puts on a great live performance, but you never know when you're going to get him. Does he still play music? Is he retired? Is he back? Is he going to release an album? I don't know. Enough of this reclusive shit. Drake is here. Drake is on the radio, Drake is performing, Drake is touring, Drake is releasing albums after albums, after songs, after features, after everything. Six God with the flow. And considering it's one of these Los Angeles festivals, it's probably a lot of mommy and daddy do everything for me. I just live my life. So they don't really appreciate shit. You want to know how much it costs for a two-bedroom apartment in Los Angeles? Five million dollars. So to be able to afford living in Los Angeles and then being able to go to a somewhat high-profile or a spoke-about concert like Camp Flognaw, gotta have some paper. Oh my God, it's Drake. Poo. Boo. You're booing the decade, the artist of the decade. What? <laughs> Oh, I get it. You're hipsters. You're too hip for your own good. You're too cool for school. You're the fucking odd future fan base. You're weird. And Drake is not weird. So he's not cool. Uh, man, I don't know. I, I guess I'm classified in the hipster group, but sometimes they make me sick. Nothing is too good for the hipster. Man, I liked him back when he was doing this. Man, I heard about that actor before he was in that movie. 
Ugh, they're always, they're, they're those people. They're just the above the fray, be ahead of the curve motherfuckers that just want to be devil's advocate for the sake of being devil's advocate. Oh, you like that album? Oh, uh, yeah, it was all right. It wasn't as good as his first album before he went on tour for the first time. Yeah, man, I got his B-sides. Those motherfuckers. And I'm sure that's all that goes to Camp Flognaw. It's just full of fucks like that. Well, take your vinyls, turn them sideways, and shove them up your Rudy Poo ass, you Camp Flognaw fucking festival goers. Thank you, fuck you. So that wraps up another edition of Over the Culture Podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. Get Chase Young back. Go high Go Buckeyes. Yeah, Saban, I know that was you whistleblowing with your roll tide face. In Penn State, we're coming for you. If you think you're going to get your preteen pee-pee touching hands on our perfect season, think again. O-H-I-O. I love you, Ohio. Alright, y'all be cool now. Peace. Ohio!